Hello and welcome back to the ESSA podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Editor-in-Chief at ESSA Monash Clayton in 2022. In this first episode of the year, we're going to be talking to Associate Professor Wayne Geerling at Monash University about his recent work using Squid Game to teach game theory. And we're also just going to dive into his approach to learning and teaching in general and how he uses pop culture within his curriculum. So I hope you enjoy and let's hear from Wayne. Hello and welcome back to the ESSA podcast. I'm here today with Wayne Geerling and we're going to be talking about some of his recent work. How are you, Wayne? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Um, So I was just wondering for those people who aren't maybe at Monash, if you could just give a quick summary of uh, who you are and what it is that you do. Okay, so I'm currently an associate professor uh, in economics at Monash Uni. I started my career about 15 years ago at Latrobe. I spent about six, seven years there. Uh, Then spent six years in America, four years Penn State, two years Arizona. Uh, Got back to Monash in July 2018. So this is my closing in on my fourth year anniversary at Monash. And uh, yeah, it's been a great experience. Really enjoying it. Awesome. And so what I want to talk to you about today is uh, a lot of your recent work over the summer got some media attention where you had, uh, you published a paper on Squid Game and I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit about that and uh, the work you did there. Oh, absolutely. It's funny, uh, first 14 and a half years of my career, didn't get too much media attention. Um, then Squid Game happened. I remember watching it with my sister last October and I said to her, I think this is a project waiting to happen. I mean, you could see obviously that there was a connection with game theory because Squid Game is about games. And I'd already done some work on K-pop, two projects which had just been published. So I was moving into that domain anyway. And given the unbelievable amount of media interest in in, in the game itself and in the series, I thought, fantastic. So I watched it and then I put together a team. So Nicola Thomas is a PhD student at Monash. Chris Nagy is educational designer at Monash. Former TA of mine from the University of Arizona. More importantly, the Korean member of the team. She could help with uh, pronunciation and translations and Jadrian Wooten from Penn State, put together the team and basically in six weeks, we punched out the paper. So basically, great example of comparative advantage and specialization there. I was the captain leading the team as well. So we got the working paper published uh, two or three days before Christmas uh, using Squid Game to teach game theory. And I contacted the Monash communications people. I said, listen, would you would you be interested in this? Not, not sure if they would or not. They said, absolutely. So just after Christmas, they put together a media release. That became an impact story. And then there was TV interviews, radio interviews, uh, lots of syndicated stories as well. So basically uh, the Monash Lens piece, which was published, I think, Impact, basically got syndicated across the world. And it was really great. I spent like lots of time on the internet actually finding my, my story in Vietnamese, in Bahasa, Indonesian, in Italian. It was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it's great. And um, it's had so much interest, I think, because it resonates with people. And it resonates with students as well. The whole idea of... Uh, strategic behaviour is all around us. Uh, These are important elements in life because life is highly strategic, right? So what we need to do as educators is train our students to think that way to prepare them for the real world. And so if you think about strategic behaviour, we look, we observe, we copy. These aspects are everywhere in life. Everything from uh, basically cutthroat business to buying toilet paper during hoarding during COVID and stuff like that. So it's been an incredible experience. The working paper has been published. The article is under review now. And uh, there's a website, uh, the website coming, uh, The Economics of Squid Game. 
Uh, so that website will be launched in, uh, probably in a couple of weeks. Um, so that's with Jadrian Wooten from Penn State. There's two of us together for the partnership. Uh, we put together a series of clips and a series of teaching guides as well. So the idea is that students of economics or teachers of economics can go to that website and actually find what they're looking for. So what, one, of the, one of the challenges we face is the paper look game theory, right? Whereas the website is looking at economics. So we've got to broaden the template a little bit and find clips that anybody could use at macro, micro, intro, upper level. So we'll spend most of the next couple of weeks actually uh, creating more clips We'll launch it and then we'll have a section whereby people can actually give us some ideas as well. And they'll be credited as authors. So if anyone out there is watching this podcast, next, this is an awesome series I'd love to contribute, please do. Uh, we'll make sure to acknowledge you as the author of any, any clip that we get. Awesome. I'm sure there'll be some interest in that. Um, one thing I was wondering is that has this always been uh, uh, the way you kind of approach uh, when, you're, when you're consuming media? Are you always looking for economics content within it that you can use or is that something you've started doing recently? Well, I've been using media in my classroom for about 10 years and over that period what's happened is that a lot of websites have been created that actually help instructors use those resources in their classroom. So once upon a time it was really just a series of websites devoted to particular TV shows like Seinfeld but then other websites started to follow. Uh, the Office, um, then you had Bazinganomics and I was part of that. Um, looking at Big Bang Theory. And the last five years as well, what's happened is that we've also got catch-all websites that have clips not specific to particular TV shows. Like uh, there's, uh, the best one is Critical Commons. So that is basically a, a user-generated uh, repository of media. So educators across the globe upload clips to that website and anyone can take them and use them. So that's made me be more intentional about how I use the media in my classroom. So up until about 2018, 19, it was pretty much just English language stuff. Seinfeld, Simpsons, South Park, you know, staple sort of US 1990s onwards type stuff, right? Last five years, I thought more about foreign language. And this is the new, the new uh, dimension here. K-pop was the first vehicle for that. But I published a paper recently that looks at teaching from across the globe. So it's got one clip from 11 different countries. It's got in there, it's got, it's got Arabic, it's got German, it's got French, it's got Bahasa, Indonesian. It's all over the place. It's got lots of different stuff. So that's a new frontier that I'm interested in now. And uh, the K-pop papers and Squid Game are in that direction. And I think, I think there's more to come. I don't literally know what the next step is, Jack. I'm only thinking one day at a time at the moment, like a good football coach. Um, but I'm sure there's more out there. And what I like to do in my classroom through my music for econ extra credit projects, encourage my students to come up with music from a non-English background as well. So I use those clips as a starting point in terms of new sort of dimensions of, 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 of pop culture. So, I mean, there's lots of things I haven't thought about much yet. Anime could be one, for example. Um, pop culture from Africa or something like that. There's lots of new frontiers. So I think you've got to stay ahead of the curve, which means always being willing to innovate and think outside the square. Yeah, awesome. Um, you mentioned that it was about 10 years ago that you started integrating <laughs> the use of media into your teaching. Was there something that uh, in particular prompted that or what was kind of your reasoning doing that? I mean, I, I, I was always curious. I, I always enjoy teaching, but I only thought it was just sort of in the classroom, you know, PowerPoint slides, that type of stuff. I made connections in the American economics education community 
And through, through that community, I've got access to material. One of the hard things when you're starting is that you think you're alone, that I've got good ideas, but where do I find them? How do I use them? How do I implement them? Tapping into a community helps you because the material is there. And then you get mentors who take you under the wing and say, oh, okay, here's a good way of doing it. So Dirk Mattia, who is uh, the co-author of the microeconomics textbook that I used in my first year class, good friend of mine as well. He brought me to Penn State, then he brought me to University of Arizona. Awesome guy. He had a website that had a lot of this stuff. And he said, Wayne, it's all here, mate. It's all here. Uh, go on there, knock yourself out, take what you want. So that was probably the main catalyst for me, actually seeing someone in the classroom with a similar teaching philosophy to me use media. And then that gave me the confidence to use it in my own classroom. Now I've been researching this area for 10 years. I think a lot of people think that way about me now um, in terms of I've created a lot of resources for other people. I'm willing to share. I'm willing to mentor. So it's, it's, it's a virtuous circle. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, so now just bringing it back to Squid Game. I think a lot of yep. us, when we watched it, probably weren't looking for uh, examples of game theory when we were watching it. So I was wondering if you could just give us a quick overview of what you found in your work, uh, the, the, perhaps the elements of game theory that we can see and um, how these are translating to what your students are learning in class. Okay, so in terms of what they're learning in class, this is future tense because we're, we're week three of semester now. Game theory in my course is typically about week 10. Yep. So the students have a lot of... I've got some great surprises up my sleeve. So in terms of the lecture, what I'll do is I'll show a couple of clips. The most important ones are the first game, Red Light, Green Light, where Ali saves G1 by grabbing him when he's about to fall. That's a good example of cooperation. And we teach prisoners dilemma in first year. This is a good example where basically the Pareto optimal outcome is observed. So I would teach that after prisoners dilemma because prisoners dilemma you've got to cover. There's one good example of prisoners dilemma when they're not being fed uh, before one of the games and do they stay in bed or do they attack the others, right? Now, if they all stay in bed, they're better off. But if you stay in bed, the others don't, you're probably dead, right? So that's a good example of prisoner's dilemma that I can use in class. So probably use both of them. My favourite scene from the film, or film from the series, is the Marvels game. And there's a lot of good game theory in there. So again, Ali is a protagonist here, and uh, Sang Wu is the other one. So where they're playing the game of odds and evens, where Sang Wu's in a world of hurt here, <laughs> He's losing, he's got one marble left and he accuses Ali of cheating. Good example there of a zero-sum game. Uh, so you can actually model that in class as well. So we, we, we will do that too. Uh, so there's lots of good things you can use. Um, so there's strategic behaviour throughout all of the series. The important thing to bear in mind is that the strategic behaviour does not strictly follow the traditional teaching of game theory. And you've got to acknowledge that up front. This series was not designed for academics. It was not designed saying, oh, this is about game theory. We're using it to teach game theory. So if you teach this in class, you've got to acknowledge the agents are not always rational. They do not always know their strategies. They do not always uh, know their payoffs. So they don't strictly follow game theory throughout the series. What makes it interesting, though, is that it's a practical, a practical application of how people actually behave. Okay, so it's one thing to say this is how Bonnie and Clyde would operate in a one-shot prison slimmer, blah, blah, blah. Showing a practical application of how people operate, think of red light, green light, right? It's rational to remain still, even when people are getting shot. Do you think many people are going to remain still when they see people getting shot around them? 
course not, right? Because you, you, you don't think, well, this is game theory. And according to game theory, if I stay still, I won't be shot. So natural instinct takes over, right? So there's a lot of examples there where they don't follow the uh, strict teachings of game theory. But that makes it a better example because you can say to your students, okay, we assume A, B, and C. Watch this scene. Which of these criteria are not met? Right? So it's a good way of reinforcing how we teach game theory by showing them flawed humans who don't always operate that way. But on the other hand, there are examples. The zero-sum game is a good example of how game theory is actually taught in a sort of typical setting. So there's so much there. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. The problem is, Jack, I think I've got too much material. I mean, I can't, put all, I don't, I can't cram it all into one lecture and one lecture, one trip may not be enough. So um, I'm gonna have a lot of fun anyway. And uh, students are gonna love it. The business school has been using it to attract students to study economics. So I hope they're not disappointed, Jack. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty interesting how, as you said, there's so many different uh, ways that game theory is used that perhaps you wouldn't see on the surface, but it's great that you're bringing light to that. Oh, just one other thing, Jack. The other thing of what I'm trying to do at the moment with my co-author is find applications not related to game theory. Because with this website, if it's just about game theory, what about someone who doesn't teach game theory in a microeconomics course first year or someone teaching macroeconomics? So at the moment, we're on the hunt for foundation level stuff. So we're re-watching the series now and looking for stuff that relates to incentives or opportunity cost or black market. So there's a good example where one of the players is a doctor who's involved in uh, organ harvesting, right? Yeah. Good example there of a price ceiling. Okay, so sorry to interrupt there, Jack. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really interesting. I'm sure if uh, anyone out there is listening, um, they can maybe help you with that. Yeah, um, hit me up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so one thing I want to talk about is that you mentioned in, in that working paper that you've published that, that uh, active learning is a big part of your game, I suppose. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that and why you hold that belief. Yeah, so I mean, in, in terms of active learning, the idea here is that basically students learn by doing. So active learning, experiential learning are really synonyms. What you want to do in a class is turn it into an environment where students want to come, they want to attend, and they, they have fun, and they're, they're, they're actually doing things. So active learning obviously involves... Uh, giving students a task to do, but also assessing it, okay? So, so I think that's really important as well. So the, the benefit of the assessment is that they do the activity and then they get some kind of feedback, okay? And it's really important in this day and age where the opportunity cost of studying is really high. Everybody's got a phone in class. Everybody could be working at that time. Everybody's got other stuff that they could be doing. Active learning is a great way of increasing engagement. And in first year students, first semester students who don't necessarily know much about economics, this is the most important part of their, of their university career. The first semester is where it begins. So using active learning is a great way, motivating the students, getting good attendance, getting good engagement, and most of all, getting more knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we were talking about this last week, but just for the podcast, how have you found uh, the transition to a, a hybrid teaching method in uh, your way of teaching economics? Well, uh, when we went to hybrid in semester one, 2020, it was, it was a nightmare at the start because uh, we didn't really know where we were. We are a little bit like a footballer who's not quite in the team, but they're sort of in and out all the time. They don't really know their game very well. They don't feel confident. So it took three or four weeks to get used to that because we went from resident to hybrid to online. Hybrid worked in the end for me because I'm very organized. I get materials prepared well in advance. 
So um, it was a struggle at the start. But then what I did was I put more effort into engaging students, active learning, through extracurricular activities as well, things like social events where we had cahoots and things like that, uh, games nights, to, to actually give the students a sense of belonging, a sense of camaraderie, because they didn't have that. So I think hybrid learning works provided you are well organised. You've got to prepare additional materials. They have to be interactive. So I prepared animated PowerPoint slides in addition to my recordings so students could watch them. You've got to also help them build communities and networks because one of the reasons why it fails at first year is that students who are studying online in a remote location don't feel part of the university. So we as educators really have to step in and uh, fill that void. We're back in the resident classroom now, Jack, and I'm yeah. loving it. Uh, <laughs> what you said, Wayne, I loved your class. It was my favourite class last semester. I said, Pity you're not doing it this semester, it's even better. And it is. I'm loving having the students back. Touch wood, we're all safe at the moment, Jack. And it's just great seeing students in the classroom again. I'll tell you one before I finish up, Jack. I ran a Kahoot at the end of my lecture last week, week two, and there was only five or six questions in it. And I introduced a mystery prize in a box, right? I'm not sure if you've seen Family Guy, but uh, Peter Griffin is offered a mystery box or a speedboat. And he says, well, a speedboat's a speedboat, right? A mystery box could be anything, including a speedboat. I think I'll take the mystery box. So at the end of each lecture now, there's a mystery prize and a mystery box. And I had 236 students sign up to the Kahoot. 236 students sign up. This was at 2 p.m. on Friday afternoon. It went nuts. They were clapping, cheering the whole way through, and they went and got a yo-yo. And yeah. it, it, was, it was awesome. It was just a great experience. Yeah, awesome. Um, so just lastly, I wanted to ask, is there, uh, can you give us any hints on what we might see next in your curriculum? Is there any chance that the, the Tinder swindler or the new season of Drive to Survive will be in your semester two classes? One, one thing I, I did at the end of last semester was I polled my students. I said, what are you watching at the moment, guys? What, what are you watching in terms of, you know, Netflix or Hulu, whatever? Give me some ideas for shows. So, and Squid Game came from that. I had already heard of it. But I'm, I'm always on the lookout for new ideas because if you, if you stay still, then you go behind, right? You fall behind. So on the on the lookout for new ideas now, haven't copped onto any at the moment, Jack, but if you have any, send them my way, mate. I'm happy to give you a shout out in class. Yeah, for sure. Um, if anyone's listening and has any ideas, where's the best place for them to, to get in touch with you? Okay, so wayne.geeling at monash.edu. A lot of uh, ESSA uh, students and committee members also have me on LinkedIn as well. You'll find me, uh, same image, taken a while ago, but I, I like that photo. <laughs> so I haven't given up on it yet, mate. So um, it's still me. Uh, LinkedIn or email would be the best way to get hold of me. Awesome. Well, it's always great to hear from you, Wayne, and we appreciate you coming on the ESSA podcast for the first episode of the year. And uh, we'll talk to you another time. Thank you very no much. Have a good day. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye.